2: from
3: KQED. Hey everybody, it's Devin Kadiyama and you're listening to The Bay. Election day is less than a month away, but you can also vote much sooner than that because everybody who's registered to vote in California is getting a mail-in ballot this year. And there's a lot on that ballot, including 12 statewide propositions that you'll get to weigh in on. And our sister KQED podcast is helping you understand all of them. Bay Curious is right in the middle of PropFest. This is a 12-part series that explores the propositions on the California ballot this election. And today, we at the Bay want to share a couple of them with you. The Props 16 and 17. That's affirmative action and voting while on parole. So let me hand it off to your host for PropFest, Olivia Allen Price.
2: Did you know that public entities are banned from using affirmative action in California? Proposition 16 would overturn that ban. On your ballot, it reads like this.
0: Proposition 16 permits government decision-making policies to consider race, sex, color, ethnicity, or national origin to address diversity.
2: Today on the show, we'll look back to when the state first banned using these categories, race, sex, ethnicity, for hiring and admissions decisions, and learn how Prop 16 could bring them back. AQED politics and government reporter Katie Orr joins us today to talk through Prop 16. Welcome, Katie. Hi, Olivia. At its core, Prop 16 is asking voters basically how they feel about affirmative action. And I do want to talk about that phrase, affirmative action, because we hear it thrown around a lot in politics, but I think sometimes we can forget what it actually means. So what are we talking about when we say Affirmative action.
4: So historically, there have been some groups such as women, people of color, who have been excluded from employment or educational opportunities. And so affirmative action is a practice where these specific groups are actually given preferential treatment to access those opportunities now, with the goal being uh, to give them more parity, to increase equality and diversity, and tackle lingering inequalities that we still deal with today. Okay, and
2: Proposition 16 would repeal a ban that California has had on affirmative action for more than two decades now. Where did that ban first come from?
4: For that, we need to go back to the 1990s. So Pete Wilson was the governor for much of that time.
2: Wilson was more conservative than many California lawmakers are now, and
4: he strongly opposed affirmative action. A lot of Californians agreed with Governor Wilson. They passed Proposition 209 in 1996. That banned the state from considering race, gender, ethnicity, things like that when hiring, awarding contracts, and admitting students into public universities. And that law has been in place ever since.
2: What would Proposition 16, which is what we're voting on this year, do?
4: So Prop 16 would overturn Prop 209, meaning that the state could once again consider race and sex and ethnicity in those decisions of hiring, awarding contracts, and admitting kids into our public universities here in California. I'm really glad that you brought up university admissions because
2: that's where we usually hear about affirmative action. What kind of impact would this prop have on California's public universities? It's really hard
4: to say. Um, Supporters say that it would increase racial diversity at these universities, especially the top performing universities like UC Berkeley and UCLA. Critics of this proposition are worried that it could hurt some racial groups When people hear the words affirmative action, they actually have a gut reaction related to fairness. And I spoke with Janelle Scott, who is a professor at UC Berkeley's Graduate School of Education about this.
5: Some people fear that they'll miss out, but they especially fear that they'll miss out because they think they deserve it, right? Whereas other people,
4: um, they believe don't. But she also points out that the way we measure who is quote-unquote, deserving, is problematic. We're relying on measures that seem to be only merit-based, but would
5: actually measure a whole lot of social status and social privilege.
4: For instance, you know, somebody's grades, somebody's SATs, somebody's, you know, extracurriculars, which might speak to whether or not they deserve to be at this high-tier university, they tend to track a lot with a person's socioeconomic status. Without
5: a kind of holistic assessment um, that takes into account, you know, um, multiple ways of measuring intelligence and competence and talent, we're left with indicators that map really neatly onto race and socioeconomic status and immigration status.
4: Scott also points out that the Varsity Blues admission scandal and a recent state audit of UC admissions both highlight what many of us already know, that white wealthy people often find ways to get a leg up in the current system.
5: There's been a different kind of affirmative action in place for wealthy people who have had access to preferential admissions through their wealth or, or political or social connections.
2: All right, and then beyond education, this isn't, you know, just just about education what other public sectors are going to see
4: impact if this passes so one area we where we could see a big effect is state contracts the state awards you know hundreds of contracts for various projects and supporters of prop 16 say that women and minority owned businesses have lost out on a lot of these contracts because they don't have the same connections that say a firm owned by a white man might have, the same connections or the same resources. So supporters say that this could give those businesses a boost and essentially level the playing field for women and minorities.
2: Now, Proposition 209 banned preferential treatment, which we've been talking a lot about, but it also banned discriminatory treatment. So I guess, is there risk with overturning 209? You know, could that open the door for more discrimination?
4: Well, we have to keep in mind that affirmative action would not be the only law in place. There are several state laws as well as federal laws in place that uh, are meant to ensure against discrimination.
2: And I know one other concern has been, you know, are we going to see effectively like quotas? So let's say UC Berkeley, you know, has these ideas about what the racial makeup of a class is, and they're just looking to fill those quotas. Will that come to fruition?
4: No. No. Quotas are against federal law, and actually uh, the UC Board of Regents just passed a measure reaffirming that no, none of their campuses will ever use a quota system. But I will say critics of Prop 16 have expressed concerns that while we might not have a a specific quota spelled out, they're worried that there will be some kind of secret target in mind that schools will try to fill, regardless of whether or not they're actually allowed to.
2: And let's talk about arguments, you know, for and against Prop 16. Who is lining up in support of this so far?
4: So the Yes on 16 campaign has drawn a lot of um, high profile names, Uh, Kamala Harris, has been supportive of it. Governor Gavin Newsom has been supportive of it. And it's really, I think, the campaign is trying to capitalize on this national conversation we've been seeing about socioeconomic uh, justice, um, race and equity, uh, those kinds of conversations, because they have been trying, supporters of affirmative action have been trying to overturn Prop 209 basically since it was passed. So this is the moment they're really trying to seize and trying to capitalize on this attention and get that message through and finally uh, overturn the ban. And what about the opposition? The opposition to Prop 16 doesn't have the high-powered names associated with it. But their argument isn't as hard to make, though. I mean, they're on the no side of the proposition. They don't have to convince anyone to, like, change anything It's hard to get people to change their minds on affirmative action because there's a feeling that our universities are relatively diverse without uh, an affirmative action policy in place. It had
5: increased graduation rates for underrepresented minority students uh, because they were going to schools where their academic credentials put them in the ballpark with other students.
4: I spoke with University of San Diego law professor Gail Harriet about this. They wanted to increase diversity, uh, but
5: they weren't allowed to use it just in terms of race anymore. It caused the University of California to concentrate on students who are actually in need. This is lower income students, students whose parents didn't go to college.
4: She's concerned that if universities are once again allowed to consider race in college admissions, that's all they'll look at.
5: They want to be able to measure disadvantage just in terms of race.
4: Harriet's concerned that Prop 16 might actually mean state universities end up admitting more middle-class students based on race instead of those with the most need. Hmm, that's interesting.
2: Although I guess it's worth remembering that Prop 16 would allow race to be considered, but that doesn't
4: mean universities would have to stop using any of these other factors, Right. Yes, that's right. It would be one of the elements they would be allowed to consider in admissions. All right. What about campaign finance on this one, Katie? How's the money looking as of now? It's pretty lopsided, actually. Uh, right now, at the end of September, supporters of Prop 16 have raised $14 million, uh, whereas the opponents have raised about $1 million.
2: All right. Well, KQD politics reporter Katie Orr, thank you. You're welcome. In a nutshell, a vote yes on Proposition 16 says you want to end the ban on affirmative action for public institutions in California. A vote no means you think affirmative action should continue to be banned in public employment, education, and contracting.
3: Coming up, we're going to share another episode of Bay Curious's Prop Fest. Olivia is going to help break down Proposition 17
1: behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.
2: Hey, everybody. It's Bay Curious Prop Fest. I'm Olivia Allen Price. We've gone through some tricky props these past few days, but Proposition 17 is refreshingly straightforward. Should people be able to vote while they're on parole? And get this, the title you'll see on your ballot, it's actually easy to understand. Prop 17, restores right to vote after completion of prison term. There are still a few nuances to pick apart on this one. We'll get into those today as we go through Proposition 17, voting while on parole. We asked KQED politics reporter Guy Maserati to stop by and get into this one with us. Welcome, Guy. Hey, Olivia. Give us the rundown. What are we voting on in Prop 17?
0: So Prop 17 would restore voting rights for Californians on parole for a felony. And there's about 40,000 Californians who would get the right to vote if this measure passes.
2: So right now, if you've committed a felony and you're on parole, you cannot vote, right? That's right. Guy, this may seem like a really basic question, but what exactly is parole and how long does it usually last?
0: So parole is a period of supervision for people convicted of a felony. It takes place after they leave state prison and parole terms typically last a few years, but in some cases they can last for the rest of the parolee's life.
2: Okay. And it seems like in recent decades, the state has generally been moving sort of more in the direction of prisoner rights. And this is you know something that's been playing out, you know, for decades.
0: Right. And this has been the case on the national level that we've seen a lot of recent change and push for enfranchisement for people convicted of felonies, people on parole. For most of California's history, this was really not discussed and debated. If you were convicted of a felony, you were banned from voting for life, even after you're done with your parole. Um, In the 60s and 70s, the state Supreme Court took this up and ultimately said there's not a lot of risk of voter fraud, and it's an equal protection violation to deny the right to votes to Californians after they've completed their parole. Then the U.S. Supreme Court stepped in and overruled that. They said, no, voting is not a fundamental right for citizens who are convicted of a felony. And it ultimately took a state proposition, Proposition 10, in November of 1974, to extend the right to vote to Californians who completed their parole term. So now here we are all the way in 2020, and Proposition 17 is trying to take that a step further and give the right to vote for people who are currently on parole.
2: And how do we stack up with
0: other states when it comes to, you know, letting people who have committed felonies vote? California is actually in the middle of the pack on this. Twenty one states are in the same boat as us where voting rights are restored after the full term or penalty of a sentence. Um, But 16 states have gone further. They let parolees vote, including Oregon and Nevada. So even though California has been at the vanguard of a lot of criminal justice reform, when it comes to voting rights, it's actually been kind of in the middle of the pack.
2: All right, I want to get into some of the arguments for and against that we're hearing. Who has come out in support of this one?
0: It's largely been Democrats in the state legislature that backed this measure initially. They're the ones who placed it on the ballot with a two-thirds vote. And they've argued really that civic participation is a key part of reintegrating parolees into society. I talked with Democratic Assemblyman Kevin McCarty of Sacramento. He wrote Proposition 17. Parole by definition isn't punishment. Parole, when it was created, if you look up the legal definition of it, it's to help reintegrate formerly incarcerated back to society. That means find housing, uh, find health care, find a
3: job, you know, be a member of your community, which means voting.
2: And what about the opposition on this one?
0: Well, the opposition is really led by Republicans in the state legislature, most of whom voted against even putting this on the ballot. They've argued that Parole is really part of the punishment and parolees shouldn't have the right to vote until they've completed that term. They say that California has made a lot of shifts in recent years to move nonviolent offenders to county jails and people on probation who currently have the right to vote. So opponents of Prop 17 say the people still without the right to vote are what they call the worst of the worst. And that's kind of the argument that Republican Senator Jim Nielsen made.
4: Take a look at the universe we're dealing with. In this particular case, we're dealing with murderers and rapists, not low-level offenders, but of the most serious offenders that we have incarcerated. So it's an issue not of them being able to get able to vote again. They will be able to, but they have to complete their sentence. And their completion of the sentence requires the completion of their parole period.
2: So this is really a question of how you view the role of parole.
0: That's absolutely right. So supporters of Proposition 17 say it should really be focused on the rehabilitation part of it. If you're reintegrating people to society, they're looking for jobs, they're getting education, they are living in our communities and raising families. A natural extension of that is civic participation and the voting process. Opponents of Prop 17 say, no, think of parole and a prison term as a football field. Getting to uh, parole is just 90 yards and you still have to complete your term before you're extended what they call privileges of democracy, something like voting.
2: All right, let's move on to campaign finance. It looks like nobody is really spending money on this prop so far.
0: That's right. This is not a big money campaign so far. We've seen on the yes side, philanthropist Susan Pritzker and the ACLU are the biggest donors and support. The no campaign to this point hasn't gotten any funding. Um, but what's interesting on the, on the yes side is really elevating the voices of parolees, putting them front and center, both working on the campaign and in the kind of public messaging, doing a lot of that legwork telling their stories and why they feel like this change if Prop 17 passes would make a big difference in their life. I talked to Jose Gonzalez who's uh, one of those parolees. He told me why it's so important to him that Prop 17 passes.
3: For me it's important because now I have a son and I'm I'm working and I've graduated and got my college degree and I want to change that. At the very least that's something that's small like the change is small in the sense where I could be talking about voting. I could have, you know, something visual like the sticker on my chest that says I voted to where my son sees it and it changes his narrative or his perspective on what it is to vote.
2: All right, Guy Maserati, KQD politics reporter, thanks for swinging by. Thank you. In a nutshell, a vote yes on Proposition 17 says you think people convicted of felonies should be able to vote while they're on parole. A no vote means you think current law should stand, and people with felonies can only vote once they've completed their parole sentence.
3: That was Bay Curious host Olivia Allen Price. She, along with Katrina Schwartz and Rob Spate, are making episodes just like these for all 12 of the statewide ballot measures this election, so we're going to leave you a link to Bay Curious in our show notes. Go learn about these props. And while you're there, subscribe to Bay Curious. And each week, you'll get to learn just a little bit more about the place where you live. And for the latest election news in the Bay Area, you can go to kqed.org elections. That's it from us at the Bay. We're produced by Erica Cruz Guevara and editor Alan Montecilio. KQED's podcast leadership team includes Jessica Placzek, Erica Aguilar, Vinnie Tong, Ethan tovin Lindsay, and Holly Kernan. We're made by your local public media station, KQED. I'm Devin Katayama. That's it for us. Now get out of here. Go vote!
2: That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your eBooks, or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast.
4: Happy reading!